The following program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It's the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta. Sitting in with me today is Joan Kelly Walker. Hello, everyone. Hi. And we are chatting about the effects of COVID-19 on family law with my go-to family lawyer, Leanne Townsend, partner at Brody Thorning LLP. We have so much to talk about today around custody and access arrangements, an important conversation to be had. We'll be talking about the rules around spousal and child support, what you can do if you are experiencing abuse in your relationship during isolation, tips for co-parenting during COVID-19, and so much more. Welcome, ladies, to the show. Hi, happy to be here. Yes, happy to have you again. Now, we have so much to talk about tonight, but, but before we get started, I just want to know, how are you guys doing I'm doing pretty well. I'm working from home. This is Leanne talking. I'm working from home, and uh, my office has been able to set everything up remotely, so um, I can, you know, sit in my sweats all day and do all my legal work, although, um, you know, I'm on Zoom calls and stuff, but it's been going pretty smoothly. It was a very quick transition because we weren't normally working from home, but it seems to have worked out. I want to know what you guys are wearing right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in sweatpants, yoga yeah. pants. I'm in underwear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am wearing underwear today. <laughs> I am wearing uh, sweats as well and a T-shirt. There you go. But I did my hair and makeup. I took Joan's advice. She always says, put your, do your hair, put on some makeup, and you feel better about yourself. And it's true, right? I think yes. it's really true. I know the days when I'm not doing that, I just feel so schleppy and blah, and I feel so much better when I actually <laughs> put some makeup on, do my hair, and look normal. Yeah. All right, let's get started, because okay. we do have a lot to talk about. So, Leanne, how has the COVID-19 situation affected family court? I'm assuming, like everything else, courts are probably not physically operating at this time. That's correct. Um, So as of, uh, I believe it was March 17th, um, the courts closed down um, completely from a physical space aspect. Um, And they are operating, um, you know, via teleconferencing for the most part. Zoom is a a big platform that's being used. But they're only dealing with, for the most part, um, urgent matters. They're taking on some... um, on consent matters and some case conferences that are limited to one or two issues, but for the most part, it's urgent matters, and that's all that they're hearing. And what's happening to the matters that were scheduled and aren't being heard, like the ones that have been scheduled? Those are being adjourned. Um, So, for example, I had a couple of um, case conferences and settlement conferences that were scheduled uh, you know, during this time, they were scheduled during the month of April, and I was given, in some cases I've been given, depending on the jurisdiction, a very specific date that it's been adjourned to, and in other cases I'm just being told that I will be notified and that it's going to be in June sometime, and at that point, it's just going to be um, like a triage situation where they're just setting new dates for for everything. So um, in a lot of cases, it's not like you're being given a new date for 
the matter that, you know, the, the specific matter, the conference, case conference, whatever that you missed, it's you're just being adjourned to a certain date where you're going to actually get a new date for your, your conference. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I can't help but wonder, um, is there going to be like this massive backlog where a whole bunch of smaller uh, charges are just going to be dropped? Like if somebody had like a small parking infraction or, you know, something that you would still go to court for, like a speeding ticket or something, like, what do you think is going to happen with all that? Like, how are they possibly going to catch up with everything? Yeah, I think in the in the criminal and the provincial offenses realm, there are, there is going to be a problem. Like, they've extended the um, like the limitation periods because the the laws often have like if you don't have a, if someone's charged with something, they have to have a court appearance. You know, or their matter has to be heard within a certain period of time. So they've extended limitation periods, but I think the reality is that there's probably going to end up being a bunch of stuff that gets withdrawn. And I'm told by um, some of my Crown friends, because I used to be a Crown attorney, that um, some of those charges, like the Crowns right now are kind of triaging. And so they're deciding, okay, what, you know, is serious and important and needs to, you know, be given a priority to go ahead and what can we, you know, withdraw or, you know, kind of give a real deal on to get it out of the system. So there's a lot of that going on. And it's funny because my son got a speeding ticket um, the first or second day when we were into this lockdown and I had said to him, you know what, like said he, because he was going to pay and I'm like, no, you set a trial date because that's probably going to end up being, you know, either withdrawn or significantly reduced just because of the volume of stuff that's going to be coming into the system at that point. Well, yeah. Well, look at all the unnecessary charges. There was a family in Oakville last week that got charged for rollerblading in a parking lot. Like, they seriously. Yeah, so I mean, they got an eight hundred and fifty dollar fine. So I think, I think charges like that are going to be dropped because I think, I think so ridiculous. too. And I, I think it's gotten a bit ridiculous that way. Like there's a bit of a, you know, the priorities being put on stuff like that where maybe it could be put on other things. Well, I think there's a lot of gray areas, and we don't really know really what the law is currently. You know, what can you do, what can't you do? It's very, very unclear. I don't even think that that anybody knows really. No, and I think that's a really good point. And, you know, that's certainly a problem that's happening, you know, in the family courts or in the family law realm even, is that, you know, there's a lot of parents out there who are divorced and they aren't really sure, you know, what they should be doing in these specific situations. And because the law is is evolving, I mean, we've never been in a situation like this before. So it's without precedent. And normally when, you know, whether it's criminal law or family law or whatever, people get it, lawyers advise people based on precedents. You look at, okay, how have the courts decided things previously? And we don't have that here because this is without precedent. So the law is just kind of quickly evolving. And I don't think in a lot of cases people know, you know, what they should or shouldn't be doing, even if they're doing their best to comply. Mm -hmm. I think also, too, like if there's a family in an empty parking lot rollerblading and they've been quarantined together, then obviously they're, they're thinking that that's okay. Like they're probably not intentionally trying to do anything wrong. I think that's where the discretion of of the officer would come in. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about custody and access arrangements during COVID-19. You're listening to the Dating and Relationships Show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, we are having an important conversation around family law and particularly around custody and access arrangements during COVID-19. Joining me tonight is Joan Kelly Walker. You know her from The Real Housewives of Toronto uh, and many other things. And our special guest is Leanne Townsend. She's a family lawyer and partner at Brody Thorning LLP. And I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca and your host. And so uh, before the break, we were just discussing the effects that COVID-19 is having on courts. Um, And another question for you around that, Leanne, what does this mean for the future of our uh, legal process? Will the legal process be permanently changed as a result of these changes, in your opinion? Um, I think it will, and part of that I think is actually a good thing because the the legal system has been very behind in terms of catching up with technology and you know joining 2020 from a technological perspective and where businesses are at. And you know we have situations where you know previous to COVID-19, where say I get a client who um, is in the new market area, so if I have to go to court there, the client has to pay me to drive from downtown Toronto to Newmarket, then they pay me to sit around what might be all day before the matter is heard or, you know, it gets heard and we have to go out and, you know, make an agreement and come back in. And they're paying me for all of that time. Whereas now what's happening with the matters, the the limited matters that the courts are hearing and they're doing by teleconference, um, people are being given a specific time. They call in. uh, Sometimes it's just by phone. Sometimes it's by Zoom or some form of teleconferencing. And the judge is there. The parties are there. The lawyers are there. Everyone speaks to the matter and uh, it's much much more efficient so it's more cost effective for clients it's it's better for everyone's time and so i think as the courts and the judges and the lawyers and everyone is getting more and more comfortable using this technology i think there's a place for it to continue um, after this is over and there's you know there's no reason why some of this stuff can't be done by teleconference in the future and you know I'm wondering, like, outside of the courts, uh, when it has to deal with the families at home, I think a lot of families, they don't want to do the wrong thing. Like, if they take their kids and they go rollerblading in an empty parking lot, is that a wrong thing to do? And can they get arrested for that? And, and you know, I wonder what guidance do you know have the officers been told? Well, I think that, you know, my understanding is that there's, you know, some discretion there, although I think that, you know, initially they were, the officers were being told to give warnings, and then at some point that they were given the direction to, okay, the warning period has stopped, and, you know, you should charge, but there's always any kind of, uh, you know, bylaw enforcement, police officer, you know, anyone in, in that position usually has some amount of discretion, and so, um And I've been hearing in the news reports of some of these officers being, you know, assaulted and and whatnot, too, kind of like the parking, uh, you know, enforcement officers. But, um, you know, I I think that, um, you know, in the situation that you've cited, Joan, it does seem to me like it was a pretty ridiculous charge to be laid, but which you know, I'm guessing at some point that will be withdrawn, but uh, they do have some discretion, and I guess the, in that particular case, the officer chose not to use it. Hmm. So let's talk about uh, custody and access arrangements during COVID-19. So I know that the Ontario Superior uh, Court of Justice recently issued a handful of rulings setting out guidelines for parents confused about how restrictions related to the coronavirus will affect custody arrangements. Are custody and access agreements being followed during COVID-19, Leanne? 
The short answer to that is yes. Um, the position that the courts have adopted is that if you have a custody or an access order or a parenting agreement, um, that you should be following the status quo. So you, whatever you were doing before COVID-19, you should be following. Um, and there's some exceptions to that. So, you know, if a child um, contracted COVID-19 or was showing symptoms or the parent who the child was with at the time was, you know, showing symptoms or contracted it, you know, then the 14-day the quarantine would kick into effect and that's going to trump any custody access arrangement, but absent a situation like that, you, people are supposed to be following the orders and following the status quo. And do you think it's likely that some parents are going to withhold access to their children, like in a big panic? <laughs> 100%. 100%. And I'm seeing it happen. Um, and it's, hap- it's falling into two categories. I mean, some, like you mentioned, some are doing it out of fear and panic, and they genuinely are worried for them, their child or themselves or maybe their elderly parents who also live with them. But there's also people who are abusing the situation and who you know, have a history of being difficult with access and are now using COVID-19 as a reason to deny the other parent access. Wow. It would be so hard. Like, it's already a hard situation to be isolated, but to have your kids held from you because of it, it just takes it up a notch. It's really sad. It does, and it's given high-conflict parents sort of another thing to fight about. And and because, you know, there's so many variations on each situation, sometimes it's not clear for people, you know, as they say, if they live with elderly parents, can they, you know, and they're worried about their parents getting sick, can they then say their child should stay with them? And But people are coming up with all sorts of scenarios to you know, deny the other parents. Why, why do parents do this, Leanne? They're angry, you know, vindictive. They, they think they, they, they genuinely really think the other child. parent is a bad parent, you know, like they, you know, they're not putting their child first in, in my opinion. Uh, so what can a parent do if he or, uh, or she thinks that their ex is doing this? Well, I mean, if it's a, there's sort of two situations. So one is whether the, if the parent is, not letting them have as much access, but having some access. And then the other situation would be where they're denying it altogether. And so if they're denying it altogether, uh, that would, to me, fall into an urgent situation. If you have a custody order and the other parent is not letting you see your child at all, um, you would need to go to court and you would need to bring an urgent motion. And I think that that would be deemed urgent. The cases have shown that. Um, and you would bring them into court to get the order enforced. So, you know, that would be my recommendation for someone in that situation. And there's some steps you need to follow in order to do that. We need to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation around custody and access arrangements during COVID-19. Don't go anywhere. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, we're answering all your questions around family law like custody arrangements, spousal and child support, abusive relationships, and so much more. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta, and joining me tonight is Joan Kelly Walker from the Real Housewives of Toronto and family lawyer Leanne Townsend. Leanne, let's look at this situation. What if one of the parents is considered an essential worker or is a frontline healthcare worker? Do they, um, 
do they get to have access to their child? Like, I would assume that they would, but it, it's the parent's duty to follow the necessary precautions to ensure their child's safety. But then again, how would one do that living under the same roof as their children if they are an essential worker and, you know, they can contract the COVID-19 uh, anywhere, right? Like at work. Yeah, that's a great question in that situation. You know, it is popping up in, in lots of places. And um, essentially what the courts have held so far is that if someone is an essential worker or, you know, even like a frontline healthcare worker, um, you know, part of that job probably is that they more than anyone are on top of the protocols that they should be following to, you know, stay safe and healthy. And so um, a custody and access order or a parenting schedule should still be followed. Now, some people, some couples are taking the approach that even though they have this prior schedule that was always followed, they themselves are agreeing to deviate from that um, out of an abundance of caution. So I have seen situations where someone, you know, who was an essential worker or is an essential worker has said, you know what, like during this, I, I think I feel better for my child if they stay with the other parent and I just have FaceTime and things like that um, because I don't want to take the risk. But if they don't, if the couple doesn't come to some sort of agreement that way and, you know, they're, they're in conflict, then the order or the parenting plan stands. So I haven't, and, I haven't, you know, it's so complicated. Like, it's, if there's a blended family, and let's say that both people have remarried, and those people that they've remarried have also got children that are coming and going from different homes, I mean, what are the protocols around that? Yeah, and that's where it gets really complicated because, you know, when you have, you know, multiple sort of set families with, you know, sets of children and step-parents and, you know, multiple exes and things like that, it, it does, it becomes really complicated. And I mean, what I'm saying to clients is like common sense uh, should prevail in, in a lot of these situations, like just, you know, use common sense and hopefully both parties can, you know, come to some, some sort of agreement on what makes the most sense to keep everyone safe. Um, I have not seen any cases that have come out yet dealing with like this sort of stepchild, stepparent situation, um, but I'm sure, you know, one will probably be coming along soon enough because there's lots of families that fall into that category. Um, but essentially, in order to, for a court to say that there's a problem with the current, the, the, like the order or the current arrangement, one parent has to show that there's specific examples of the other parent not following the protocols. They, they can't just make a blanket claim that they're not. They have to actually have specific examples. Um, and then the responding party ha has to give, you know, is given the opportunity to provide the court with absolute reassurance that they are following the protocols or that they will. Um, and the parties are encouraged to come up with some sort of realistic time-sharing arrangement. And that's generally what, you know, the courts have been saying. So I have a girlfriend who was working part-time in a long-term care facility, and her ex, the dad, uh, he is a police officer. So the child was staying with her parents, and just recently the long-term long care facility contacted COVID. So mm. she was torn. She didn't know what to do because she was missing her child so much. She hadn't seen him in about a month. Well, she was able, she's able to, like, social distance with him in the yard and stuff. So yeah. she actually quit her job at the long-term care facility. 
she felt really bad about it uh, because this is a time in need, but she wasn't able to see her child. So. But then to be really technical, even then, wouldn't she have to quarantine herself away from the child for two weeks? Yeah, I think she definitely would. And, you know, and it's unfortunate that someone has to be put in that situation. But uh, because especially with children, especially with young children, like a month or two months or three months, like that's a long time in their life not to have, you know, face to like physical contact, you know, in their presence. So that's why the courts have kind of gone the way they have, saying the agreement should be followed and enforced because it's better for the child to have that contact with their parent um, in comparison to the risks of something happening with COVID. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a really difficult situation, and I think a lot of people don't really know what the right thing is. But children aren't really at high risk here. Even if they contract COVID, we're not seeing many children pass away from the disease. No, yeah, but they can't rely on that. And That's they're true. Um, you know, else. and there, it, it is mostly older people. But there's also, you know, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s that are, you know, being greatly affected. And we don't know what the long-term effects of this are. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, and if you know, they could spread it to someone else, it's not so much even, you know, whether, because I haven't heard of any children, you know, that, that have died. The youngest I've heard is in their 20s, but I could be wrong on that. But still, they could give it to, you know, someone else. That's the, the concern. So you still have to be careful about the children following the protocols, too. Mm-hmm. Now, what if you someone think if there was a blended family and there was, you know, kind of basically four parents that you know, cooler heads would prevail. Like somebody would figure out, okay, here's here's a good thing. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to trust in society that that would be happening. Yeah, and I think for most people it is. Um, but, you know, there's always those exceptions where, you know, they're just, all they want to do is fight, and so they won't, you know, agree to something that's reasonable. And one more question before the break. What if someone is immune compromised? Can they refuse to exchange access? You know, that's, again, where it gets more complicated, and, um, you know, that we're seeing situations of that. But so far, the courts are saying as long as the other parent is following the protocols, that access should be exchanged. And uh, there was a recent case where um, the wife was actually given exclusive possession of the matrimonial home because she was immune compromised, and the husband had moved back in because of COVID, but then he was leaving and going to see his girlfriend and coming and going and not following the protocols. So the judge gave her exclusive possession and he's only allowed to see his son via video chat. Good. We need to take a break. Ladies, we'll be back. When we come back, we're going to discuss spousal and child support. Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, it's Sunday night and you're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca and sitting in with me today is the lovely Joan Kelly Walker. From Hello, everyone. Toronto. And uh, our friend, family lawyer, Leanne Townsend, partner at Bro Thorning LLP. She's in studio with us. And we're talking about the effects of COVID-19 on family law. Uh, Let's get into spousal and child support now. Now, so many of us are not working right now. And if someone lost his or her job, do they still have to follow a court order for child or spousal support? And 
What if they can't afford to do so? Um, Well, the short answer is yes. Um, If they have a court order that says that they're supposed to pay, you know, $1,000 a month, for example, in spousal support or child support, technically, as long as that order is in place, they are supposed to pay it. And and normally in a non-COVID time, you know, if someone lost their job or lost their business or something and needed to change the amount of child support or spousal support because they can't pay it, they would you know, try, they would bring a motion to change, and, and that's done through the court. But unfortunately, right now, the courts are not hearing motions to change. Um, so for someone in that situation, I mean, what I would advise them to do, first off, is just try and negotiate something with the other party and, and who will hopefully understand that they've lost their job and, and you know, they may need some money, but um, hopefully they can work out some sort of agreement with a reduced support um, but if they can't, then and the only time a court will hear it right now is if it meets the, the um, test for dire financial uh, circumstances. So you'd have to be, you know, close to probably like, you know, losing your home or maybe defaulting on a mortgage or, you know, you're on a, like, you can't even afford food. Like, it's a pretty stringent test. Um but otherwise, like, you know, what I'm telling people is do your best to pay. Um, hopefully, this is not going to be going on for, you know, six months. I mean, that's the problem, too, right, is if this is only, a th- you know, a couple of months or maybe three months at most, then it's easier to kind of sort it out when it's over and go back to if the person gets back to work, you know, go back to what the original regime was. But if this goes on for a long time, you know, then I think it, it is going to be more problematic in trying to get that order changed. Well, we know there are going to be a lot of deadbeats refusing to pay child support right now. Yeah, only people using that as an excuse. To reduce their payments or or stop paying altogether. Uh, What can someone do in this case, like if someone's just using it as an excuse and they're, they're actually still working but pretending not to be working? Um, well, again, it, it comes back to, you know, if, if the dire financial circumstances. So someone's supposed to be paying you support and they're not paying or they've reduced it and they're blaming it on COVID-19. And as far as you know, like they haven't lost their job or or if they have a business there, as far as you know, their income is still roughly the same. And then you're about, you can't afford food or you're about to default on your mortgage or, you know, something serious, then you would want to look at bringing an urgent motion in that type of situation to get the order enforced. And I should note that, like, a lot of um, child and spousal support orders get enforced through the Family Responsibility Office, or FRO, as a lot of people know of it. And FRO is still enforcing orders. So if your order is filed with the FRO office, it's still going to be enforced. Um, But if someone's lost their job, of course, there's no, you know, they can't garnish someone's wages if they're not there. So then that could be a problem. And then what is happening if someone's lost their job? Um, you know, I know sometimes they can get their driver's license revoked. Is that sort of thing still happening if they don't pay their support? Um, the Family Responsibility Office, who, who are responsible for doing that, I have said that they put that on hold right now, so they're not initiating driver's license suspensions for people who are defaulting on support the way that they normally would. No. Oh. I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of deadbeats getting away with this. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Unfortunately. 
Yeah, it's pretty scary, and it's a big trickle-down effect. It's like, you know, somebody loses their job, it affects the next person, it affects the kids, it affects, you know, this whole extended circle. All right, let's talk about abusive relationships and self-isolation. So it's a it's a known fact that in, in these times of great stress in society, violence is going to go up, especially behind closed doors where there's just there just aren't as many eyes as there used to be. And I read a, an article just recently on Global News mentioning that a Vancouver domestic violence crisis line has seen a 300% increase in calls over the last three weeks. They're also getting calls from children who are witnessing this abuse and or are being abused themselves. Domestic violence is on the rise. So what options does a victim of abuse have if, if they must self-isolate with their abuser, Leanne? It's a tough situation to be in, and, you know, and as I'm sure both of you know, like, there's so many types of abuse. There's physical, emotional, financial, psychological, um, you know, there's just so many types. And so it's the situation that we're in, I think, gives rise for that controlling abuser to really uh, take advantage of the situation. And so, um, you know, someone who is living with an abuser, um, first off, I would say to that person, that they want, I want them to make sure that they have some sort of safety plan so that if they really do need to leave, if they're concerned for their safety or the safety of their, their children, that they have a plan in place, whether it's going to a shelter that they, they are aware of, they know where it's located. Okay, wait, Leanne, so I have to stop you there. So have a plan in place. We need to take a break. We're going to continue with this exact conversation when we come back. Stay with us. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show, we are talking about the effects of COVID-19 on family law. Joining me in studio tonight is Joan Kelly Walker and family lawyer Leanne Townsend, and I'm Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca. Just before the break, we were talking about abusive relationships and self-isolation, and let's continue with that conversation. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, you know, about how do you have a plan in place when you have to stay living and quarantining with your abuser? Like, how do you go about that? If you've never been in the shelter system, how do you create a safety plan for yourself and your kids? It's it's a challenge, and, you know, so I would advise people who are in that situation to familiarize themselves with where the nearest shelter is, um, if they can. Um, a part of a safety plan can also just be knowing, you know, that you can call 911, because if anyone's, you know, in physical danger or being threatened, or, or even if, if it's not physical, um, but you are really feeling scared and threatened, I would still say call the police. The police will only lay charges if there's been a criminal offense, which means that there's been physical violence or a threat to cause, you know, death or bodily harm. But even if it, there wasn't that, the police will still come um, if they think that there's, you know, a domestic incident. And so it can de-escalate the situation and perhaps even have the abuser um, have to leave the home for 24 hours if no charges are laid. And then if charges... Only 24 are hours and then what happens after that? Well, that's if there's no charges. Where are they going to go? 
if this charge is laid, then they're out of the home altogether, um, and they won't be able to return until their charge is dealt with and their matter is dealt with. But if there if there aren't charges laid, then you know that person still has a right to the home, so they they would be you know, able to come back. But the other option is that somebody could get a restraining order, which is a family law remedy. It's, it doesn't involve criminal charges being laid. But if you, you know, if you're scared about your safety, um, you know, you could contact a family law lawyer. Um, but as part of safety planning, I think, you know, there's crisis hotlines. Um, and I know we were, I'm going to put them up on my website. And I, Laura, you said that uh, you were going to, and we'll provide that information to listeners, yeah. the crisis hotlines and, you know, numbers that people can call uh, to get support or to get help sure. with safety planning. Well, there is a lot of support out there. The federal government committed some, two, I think, $200 million to help shelters for homeless people. And you can see how people would be so afraid to leave, you know, the safety that they do have in their own home if their safety plan is to go to a shelter because you don't know where the other people in the shelter have been. No, it's true. I mean, you could be concerned about contacting COVID, you know, in the shelter. Um, but, I mean, they're all following, you know, protocols and, and whatnot, but it's still, it's it's very, you know, unique times where you have those considerations. And, you know, so another, you know, another option would be if you do have a family member or a friend, um, you know, that will take you in, you know, that, that's always an option too, but not everybody has that, of course. So it's important to know that there is help for you out there, uh, and where you can find it is that we're going to list those numbers um, on our promo post for tonight's show. You can find that post on the Dating and Relationship Show Instagram page or the Dating and Relationship Show Facebook page or on Leanne Townsend's Instagram or mine or Jones, and we're going to let you know uh, what those Instagram accounts are at the end of the show. So uh, listen to the end. Yeah, very good point, Laura, that there is help available, so no one should feel like they don't have any options. No, people shouldn't feel alone, and they should definitely not feel, you know, embarrassed to reach out to people. Sometimes people, unfortunately, in this situation have shame, and they shouldn't. And, you know, so if you are out there and you're in this situation, don't be embarrassed to, to reach out to a friend or to reach out to, you know, someone to, to help you. Um, and I know um, I posted this on Instagram the other day, and I've seen some other people doing it, um, where there's a message posted that if you are in a situation of domestic violence and your abuser's around you and you, you know, monitoring you all the time and you feel like you can't call for help, then to, you know, contact me or contact someone who's made this post and say that you're interested in buying my soap. And obviously I don't sell soap, so I know that that's somebody who's in that type of situation and I would, you know, want to get in, I'd get your address because if you're buying soap and I'm going to ship it, I need your address and then I could call police and send them to your residence. That's really smart. Wow. I can't believe, imagine, I can't even imagine being stuck in a home where I can't make a phone call. (laughs) No, but it is a reality for some people. More often than you would think. Sounds horrible. Oh, boy. Lots of support and love out there for everyone. Let's talk about, uh, let's give some tips for co-parenting during COVID-19. Now, I know this is a very stressful time for everybody. Uh, what are some tips for co-parenting right now, Leanne? Um, I mean, I would say common sense. You've got to let, you know, put your children first and use common sense and be reasonable. And, and I think if you, you know, use those guidelines, you know, in co-parenting generally, they'll serve you well, but particularly right now. So, um, 
you know, don't be, you know, you're, there's going to be some differences between the households. I mean, no, you know, some people are, you know, I want, I call them COVID Nazis almost, or, you know, they're so strict and so regimented about all the protocols. And then some people are following them, but maybe not quite as rigid as someone else is. And so I think there needs to be some flexibility as long as, you know, people are washing their hands and they're social distancing and they're, you know, Lysoling down groceries and, you know, some reasonableness surrounding things things. Um, I think people, parents need to keep that in mind. I was just going to ask about the matrimonial home. Okay, hold on to that thought. We'll be right back on the Dating and Relationship Show. We're talking about a very important topic tonight, the effects of COVID-19 on family law. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, we are answering all your questions around family law like custody arrangements, spousal and child support, abusive relationships, and so much more. Joining me in studio is Joan Kelly Walker and family lawyer Leanne Townsend. She's a partner at Brody Thorning LLP. And I'm your host, Laura Bellotta. And uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, co-parenting. We were offering some tips around co-parenting. And I think, Joan, you had a question before the break. Yeah, it was more about, uh, like, property values because, you know, a lot of people go through divorce. It's just a fact of life, and sometimes they're long and drawn out. What if somebody is, like, in the midst of or close to finding a settlement for their divorce, and then all of a sudden COVID-19 happens, people's, you know, stock price has plummeted, people's net worth have gone down, their house isn't what they thought it was. Um, like, how does, how does all of that affect a divorce settlement? Well, it, it has an effect, and I think that, you know, that's going to be a big issue going forward. Like, right now, the main issue is around custody and access and people having disputes about that, but I think the longer-term issue will be property values because um, anyone who's gone through a divorce knows that the important date for values is always uh, it's called the valuation date, and it's the date of separation. And so if uh, a couple separated in January or February and or, or you know, last year, year sometime, but they don't have everything, you know, finalized. And, you know, if somebody had a business that's been shut down or maybe permanently gone out of business as a result of this or a stock portfolio that's plummeted, you know, they're not in the same financial place they were at the time of the valuation date. So they may want, and the valuation date, the values at that time affect the equalization payment. So what somebody, the partner who maybe has more money ends up having to pay to the other partner. So if everything's gone down in value, they don't want to be stuck with this higher, you know, equalization payment from an earlier date. So right now, there's only one case that specifically is on this. It's a case called Sarah and Sarah. It's S-E-R-R-A. It's from the Ontario Court of Appeal. And it came out um, many years ago. I think it was like 2009. And it was dealing with um, somebody who had a business in the, the textile industry. It was the husband. And there was a recession. And the industry had been dramatically, dramatically affected. And so the court held that he wasn't bound by you know, the earlier valuation before all of that had happened. But they specifically said that, you know, it has to be something more than just like the, a routine recession because we have recessions, you know, every so often in our economy. It has to be something more 
which I suspect, you know, this whole COVID-19 thing will be. So I think it, in all likelihood, it, but it's also going to depend on is a business closed down for a few months? Is it, did it permanently go out of business? Is a stock portfolio rebound? Or, you know, gonna, it's going to be very case-specific. So can an agreement then be renegotiated? Yeah, most agreements can be negotiated if there's been a material change in circumstance. So I think, you know, something like COVID-19, um, you know, potentially would, you know, justify that there has been a material change in circumstance so people could, you know, nego- renegotiate some things. And just to change the subject um, a little bit, this is all super important, but I'm wondering, like, what are you guys doing specifically when you go out? What protocol are you doing? Our daily regimens? Well, we don't go out every day. Well, for okay, so myself, I don't go out daily. Do you guys go out daily? I go out probably every 10 days. I, yeah, I don't go out daily. I'd like to go for, a, like, a walk or something every day, but I haven't been doing that. Leanne! You need to self-care. I know. <laughs> I know you're into working out and stuff. I know. I I'm missing it. My Friday night dance parties at home by myself. It was very inspiring. <laughs> I have a gym in my house, so I'm okay with that. And we have a big yard, so I'm okay going out there. But, you know, grocery stores and, and any place you have to drive to is a whole different thing for me. It's like full mask, full gloves. I still have my sanit- my sanitary wipes that I, even if the store says that they've wiped it down, I still wipe down my cart or my basket. Yeah, so I actually, I will sanitize before I walk into the store. And then when I'm in the store, I don't bring my phone in because I don't want to have to re-sanitize my phone. So I leave my phone in the car. And then so I sanitize before I go into the store. And then I um, sanitize before I get back into my car, uh, and then I sanitize when I get in the car, and then when I get home, I, the one thing I don't do, and my mom keeps hounding me, she says I have to wash every single thing that comes into the house. I can't do that. Do you guys do that? I haven't been. I mean, I, I get certain things I'm washing, and certainly like with things like produce and stuff, I'm really wash. I'm not Lysoling them, obviously, but I am, you know, being extra careful about washing. But I know we are, I think technically we should be Lysoling, you know, everything, but I haven't done that with every single thing I've purchased. How about yourself, Joan? Been, absolutely. I get my sons to help, and we all grab the wipes, and we wipe down every single thing. Oh, and it's that. like, can you use the same wipe on more than one egg carton like you know you don't know like where do you draw the line with this some people are reusing their gloves which is crazy yeah i don't see that using a mask i guess if it sat there and you didn't go out for a week you think we have to be okay right thing yeah well well it's funny because i've heard that some people are like actually talking about having what they call covid parties where because people are thinking that we want they want to get exposed to the virus so that then they'll be immune to it and so they want to have a like a, a gathering where somebody maybe has that covid so and they want to get it i mean that just sounds crazy but i've actually heard people talking about it okay well, mothers used to do that with chicken pox they'd get their kids with their friends whose kids but you have can't chicken die pox. from chicken pox uh, which okay, is a different thing that ends our show for today, ladies. If you're still confused and still have questions around family law at this time, Leanne can provide 15 minutes of free legal advice to help determine if this matter is urgent. Leanne, where can people reach out to you? 
Uh, they can find me on either my website, which is www.leannetownsend.ca, my firm website, www.btlegal.ca, and I'm active on Instagram at Leanne Townsend Life, and I'll be posting, you know, all the important numbers we discussed for abuse, uh, people in abusive relationships uh, on my Instagram for people to find and on my website. Okay, and yourself, Joan? Uh, Instagram, uh, Joan Kelly Walker Official. And mine is uh, Official Laura Bellotta and uh, the Dating and Relationship Show as well on Instagram. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Ciao for now. The preceding program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.